you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I am making history for myself today because the first time that I am meeting this guest is right now. I have had nothing more but a quick uh, LinkedIn message back and forth, or maybe email message back and forth, uh, that is now uh, turned into a live in-person recording. And so I have with me today, Heather Falcone. She is the CEO of Thermovac. Uh, and you may be thinking to yourself, what in the heck are we gonna be talking about? And we are gonna be talking about, amongst a lot of things I'm sure, climbing a huge mountain, right. big, a big pile of dirt. So with that, Heather, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. Okay, so I uh, just did a tiny bit of snooping. Uh, I, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time, uh, but you started out at your company in HR. <laughs> that's the public story. Okay, yeah. that's... <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, people frown on child labor in the United States. So, yeah. <laughs> So it's a family-owned business. So okay. My father started it in 1985. I was born in 1982. You can do the math. Whoa. So you were cleaning up trash at three. Exactly. <laughs> Assembling parts, riding forklifts, whatever, you know. That's so awesome. Yeah. Okay, so what was your first uh, official job there? My first official job, I was 12 years old, and I was in charge of filing time cards from the controller. Oh, wow. How fun was that? Not. <laughs> Zero fun, sir. Yeah. But it was great because, you know, you don't realize this till you get older, though. You learn, like, true life skills when you're actually doing a job before you're an adult. Yeah. I, they got rid of all the cool classes, right? So home ex gone, shops gone, auto's gone. All this useful stuff is gone. But I luckily had the family business, so I learned accounting I learned like pretty advanced math. I learned, you know, how to assemble small parts, how to clean up after myself, like be responsible. Yeah, yeah. What a shocker. I know, right? <laughs> I know, I know. So I was really grateful later, but it was yeah. craptastic when dad makes you uh, like, work at the business. It's yeah. so funny that you say that. I was telling this story the other day. So I, my dad um, has had a couple of different jobs. He was an engineer. He was a police officer. I retired from that. He ended up uh, uh, owning his own automotive air conditioning business. Mm -hmm. And my first real job was cleaning up, like cleaning the floors, putting parts away, inventory, and I freaking hated it so much, you know? I feel you. Because he was militant. I mean, he was a cop, you know, and right. he's very stern anyway. And so everything had to be done the right way the first time, and I'm like, this is so stupid. And yet, now when I look back, I learned the majority of my work, eth work ethic from my dad. From that experience. Yeah. And I think that might be missing a little bit in today's society. I mean, we we barely connect face to face, much less learn in that sort of um, apprentice style yep. you know, on professionalism in general. Yeah. Okay. So you, so that was, uh, you said how old you were 12. Yep, so was that 12. was 1994, 95-ish. <laughs> um, and so you are growing with the company. So at what point did you feel like 
Um, or was there a point when you felt like, I want to make a career out of being here in the family business? There was actually a big push to not be in the family business. So originally, uh, my dad said, I don't want a family business. I want it to be a professionally run organization that I can grow and sell and have my liquidity and, you know, yeah. get out and take my money with me, Monopoly style, right? So I actually left and was working in different companies while okay. I was going to college. So I worked for Marriott. I sold timeshares at Shadow Ridge in Palm Springs. Nice. And I did medical assisting. I worked for Kaiser. I did all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But then I just didn't find a home. Hmm. And there wasn't really anything like Thermalvac. And it wasn't because it was filled with my family. It was filled with people that I had been around my entire life. And I had this relationship with. And it just felt right so yep. when i was 23 i came back to the company and that's when my resume officially starts <laughs> <laughs> okay yes in human resources and it felt like coming home yeah that, i mean that that's pretty profound i think even in of itself amongst all the lessons you were learning but the fact that you felt like the culture was good enough because at 20 something we think we know it all maybe you weren't quite that way but you know we think we know it all and um and so uh, the culture was good enough to where you felt like you could come back and make a home out of a business uh, where most times we're at odds with our family, things are struggling. And I'm sure it, it has not been, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbows all the time. No, <laughs> no, I would be lying if that were the case. Yeah. So HR is where you officially start when you come back. Yes. Dealing with people's problems. That's yes. always a fun role to play. Yes. Um, and then all the way through to, so that was 94, 95 up until, so when did you officially begin running the company? April of this year. Whoa. <laughs> it's very new. Yeah. So I did HR all the way through 2012. And then, um, our president at the time, Aaron, he came to me and he's like, you know, be, you'd be really good at, you'd be really good at quality. And I'm like, nah, don't like that. It has to do with parts, has to do with like way boring stuff. I'm people, fun, yay, HR. No, you should be good at quality. You're going to do quality. So I did quality from 2012 to 2016-ish. And then they just kept giving me more stuff. So everything nobody else wanted to do kind of wound up in Heather's box, which is cool. I like that. Challenge is my thing. But it finally got to where I was running about 75% of the company. And then we went through some transitional events. My dad decided, hey, you know, I kind of don't want to work as much anymore. What mm. are we going to do about that? And between uh, my brother and I, the next one under me, there's four of us total, three younger brothers. Sean is the next one down from me. He's two years younger than I am. He said, you know what? We should run this thing. And between the two of us, we're like, okay, who's going to be in charge, right? <laughs> and he's like, how about you do all that hard work stuff? And I just get all the benefits. And I was like, deal. Cool. Let's do that. <laughs> And then now I'm CEO. <laughs> and you're dealing with all the hard stuff that That's nobody it. wants to deal That's with. That's, That's awesome. <clears throat> okay, so along the way, you're growing up. You have to have a passion of your own at the same time, right? It's not just family business all the time. And so what were some things that were capturing attention outside of there? And uh, I mean, ultimately leading up to what I can't wait to, you know, to, to talk to you about, but what were some of the other things that were really capturing your attention at that time mm -hmm. that were helping to drive kind of that desire to, to grow, to push yourself? Growing and pushing myself has kind of been since I was a little kid. 
So I, I grew up wanting to be the best at everything. When mm. I got a B at school, I started crying and hyperventilating and called my mother and had to go home. I was a perfectionist since very, very young, very driven, very type A, very aggressive. Um, so I started doing crazy things like sign up for an Ironman. That sounds like a cool thing to do, right? I don't know. Just <laughs> out of the blue. Yeah. Well, on uh, New Year's Eve in 2009, I was totally not completely fall down drunk with my friends. I would never do that. <laughs> And they were all like, you know what we should do? We should sign up for a triathlon. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but yeah. And I gave them my credit card and I woke up on New Year's Day 2010. And uh, to an Ironman? Not a full. Okay, not right away. Started with a sprint. Okay. Which was hard enough because yeah. I didn't know how to ride a bike. Oh. <laughs> That, so, that that's pretty that's pretty uh pretty necessary. Yeah, and I was also 275 pounds. No way. Yeah. So, you know, that that's the thing. I just was like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like a great challenge. So, from January 1st to the triathlon which was in April, I lost 40 pounds. I went to the gym, started cycle classes, did the whole thing and away we go. And oh then, my gosh. And where was that? Local? Yeah, it was at Lake Paris. Okay. And I didn't come out with a third eye or anything. <laughs> I, I came out okay, relatively unscathed. You didn't drink the water. You nope. were good. No. Nope. And then 2012 was my Ironman attempt, the first one. So I did uh, Arizona and then uh, Cosmel and I did the 70.3 down in San Diego. Wow. The one in Napa area that's now called something different. The Vine Man. Vine Man. It, yeah. I think it got bought and changed the name or something. Okay. Sonoma Tri. I don't yeah. Know. Anyway, I did Vine Man, but the women's side, it used to be called, um, shoot, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but it was a women's only event and it raced alongside on the same day. Okay. Barb's Race. It used to be called Barb's Race. Interesting. And it raised money for cancer survivors, which is the perfect segue to yeah thing. <laughs> yeah okay so before we get there so I'm, I'm really interested in this so you are not in the best shape of your life right and you are propositioned to do something really ridiculous mm -hmm. right like sprint distance triathlon for people that don't know right it's a 150 meter swim right right ish yeah uh, yeah depending on the race 5k run right and then a 10 12 mile, mile bike, 12 yeah, mile 10 bike. to 12. Yeah, okay. It depends on the definition. So though in the world of triathlon, that's very short sprint. That's why they call it that. That's a massive <laughs> undertaking for somebody. So what in the hell were you thinking <laughs> when you didn't just take your lumps, which was just your entry fee and turn around and run away? I don't know. I'm a crazy person. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It, it's in me somewhere. The challenge, the lure of challenge and growth and doing okay. something unattainable, that's kind of what I live for. It's not adrenaline junkie because there's a lot of pain and heartache and yeah. grueling long training, and it's really quite boring. Yeah. Um, there's zero satisfaction that comes from training for any sort of endurance event. So it was more about that achievement mindset, and mm. I've kind of been in that achievement mindset for a really long time. It fit right in yeah feed the need right? seriously <laughs> <laughs> okay so that leads to more try more try more try oh, yeah. eventually to an iron man yeah. uh arizona yep. uh what you said was the first one you do another one and so do you feel like as you are accomplishing those events that that is fulfilling that need for you or do you feel like like this is awesome but there's something more that i still need to do or 
It was like unresolved because my first Ironman, I didn't make it. Okay. And that was horrible. It, within the time cap. I didn't. I actually passed out, woke up in the hospital. Whoa. I was like 16 or 18 miles into the run. So I was right there. No way. Right there. And I was going to make it and it was going to be f- all good. And I, I passed out, woke up in a hospital bed and still had my timing chip on and I was pissed. Was that bad nutrition or? A combination you know? of bad nutrition. I took medication for pain that I should uh. not have. And it made me loopy and lightheaded to the point where I started vomiting and I got rid of all of my nutrition. Couldn't eat, couldn't drink. And that was it. Yeah. Done. See ya. So I had to get vengeance, of course. Yeah. So that's when I. So how much longer before you went back at the next one? A year. Okay. And that was Cozumel? Yeah. Cozumel, right. And beautiful place to go do a triathlon. And it's a current assisted swim. Oh. <laughs> but, that, so. but that's still a big difference, right? Because Arizona is in fresh water. Yes. Right? In a, essentially what amounts to a drainage ditch. Pretty, which is pretty reasonably cool. controlled environment. Yes. But you yes. go to Cozumel, that's open water. Open water, Correct. which I prefer. I love the ocean. You do. Open, small, open. I'm actually the opposite of a typical triathlete. Everybody's usually terrified of the swim. They're yeah. usually very strong at the, bu- the run or the bike. I was really strong at the swim. That's where my joy comes. Uh, so did, did you swim previously growing up? or? I played water polo. Oh. I am more of like the floater, not the swimmer. Yep. <laughs> I'm not fast. I'm not a dainty individual. So Yeah, and, and you know, people that um people that have never like participated in an endurance sport at all, it, it's really hard to get. Um so I cycled for about five years and uh, I had no, no desire ever to do any kind of triathlon because of running. I hated running. And then I was propositioned to do the Vine Man before nice. it went away, the That's full. A beautiful course. Yeah, 2000, it would have been 2012, 2012. And so, 2011, 2011. And so um, I signed up to do an Olympic distance triathlon mm-hmm. down in Mission Viejo. Yes. They um, want to do athlon at the same time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so they, yeah. everyone said, you know, great, great event, great event. And I, I was a decent swimmer, like in the regular pool. I was swimming laps at, I don't know, LA Fitness all the time. Like I'm getting ready. Did a couple of test swims in my swimsuit, you know, in my suit down in um, uh, San Clemente or something. And so then day of race. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what I got myself into because I was in really good shape from a run and bike perspective, but you, there's no way to simulate that swim. I ended up in the fastest heat just because that was the age group that I was in. Mm-hmm. And when that swim started, I mean, it all hell broke loose, it right? I mean, war. people are climbing on each other, yeah. kicking you. I got about 200 meters out, which it was a 750 out and 750 back. Mm-hmm. I got about 200 meters out, maybe a little bit longer, and I contemplated quitting. And I I don't have that personality. I was so scared because I was out of breath. Mm -hmm. There was nowhere to go but down. I was looking around for paddle boarders, right, to grab me. It it freaked me out. I finally got myself going again. I got all the way out to the turn. and, And as I'm turning, I realized that the elite women are getting ready to go. They're coming. And they're coming. (laughs) And about a hundred meters before I'm getting out of the water, they climbed over me too. Uh And I mean, it was just brutal. It took me, you know, 15 minutes on the bike to like gather my life back together. But 
it was so gnarly. I ended up not doing the Vine Men only because I had an opportunity to go on a missions trip mm. that same week and had to make a you know had to make a decision. So I forfeited my entry and then whatever that that happened to be God's plan and I, I didn't end up uh, ever trying again. But I mean the the fact that you did that is just crazy, especially after effectively failing. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean you Which know is bad. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's insane. That is insane. And then I got tired of Iron Man. So I was like, you know what we should go do? We should go hike. You know? And so what did that start like? I know, right? I mean, it's so what was not it? Like, even close to. So what happened is my dad had his fifth heart attack. Whoa. That's what happened. He's sitting in his hospital bed. We are going down to the company, pulling the um, estate documents, getting ready for him to die. Wow. Um, he's telling us, you know, goodbyes. He's saying, I'm sorry. I should have done more. I wish I had taken better care of myself. He's, he's deathbed sick. Wow. And he winds up making it and he goes through cardiac rehab and, and all that. And he comes to me and he's like, I, I need to sustain this. I know fitness is kind of your thing now. What can we do? Mm. I feel like, you know, this is what we need to do. So I said, well, what, what kind of things do you like? And he's like, well, I don't want to go to the gym. Okay, cranky old guy. Then got it. You don't want to be around real people. I get it. I don't want to go to any classes. Okay, so we're not going to go to any classes. I don't think I want to ride a bike. Okay, cool. So you like to hunt and fish, right, Dan? Yeah, I like being outside. And I was like, well, how about hiking? We could just kind of walk around. Maybe. So then. Maybe. <laughs> So I was like, all right, I've got this. So I went online, and of course, me being me, I can't just Google place, nice places to hike in Orange County. I Google, what's the highest mountain? In Atlanta? You know, and I started looking, and of course, it's Mount Whitney, highest mountain in the continuous 90, uh, 48 states. And I was like, we should, we're going to do that. No way. We're going to do that. So put that on the list. That was the first idea. That was the first idea. I, that's, but go big or go home. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're starting to get to know me now. Yeah, I am. See, this I is am. a thing. There's a theme here that we're seeing, right? So I go to Dan, and I was like, hey, what do you think? They think we could do this. And he's like, nope, sure don't, but it'll be fun. Let's go for it. Oh, so, so you got some of that mentality from your dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Apple meat tree. Very close to each other. And we go out on our first hike, and we didn't start like, oh, let's go hike your regional park. Let's just kind of walk amongst the little duckies. No, we picked Mount Wilson. A 15-mile. That was the first one. <laughs> that was the first one. Oh, my gosh. It took us 14 hours they run their business much more strategically than they choose adventure. I No, I think it's actually a, a great alliterative uh, parallel there. Yeah, he flies by the seat of his pants. We fly along with him. That's great. So we get up to the top of Mount Wilson, which, by the way, is very anticlimactic. And I don't recommend that you do it your first mountain because you can see the road that people drive up with their cars and eat at the restaurant when no you way. get up to the top. Yeah, super disenchanting, very poor first experience of hiking. And we're like, this sucks. I don't like it. So then we had to find a challenge, right? So I'm Googling. I'm Googling. Comes up with this thing called the Six Pack of Peaks. So the Six Pack of Peaks is Mount Wilson, um, Mount Baldy, uh, Cucamonga Peak, San Jacinto, San Gorgonio, and I think I'm missing one. There's one more. Anyway, there's another one in there somewhere. So I was like, let's do that because that's a thing that we can say we did. So I said, Dad, we're going to do the six-pack of peaks, and that's going to prep us for Whitney. Okay. So we had already done Wilson. That was the first one. (gasps) 
See, it's perfect. So then we oh went on to the next one. <laughs> and we did six peaks. How long did how I mean, like how long did you guys did it take you to do that? I mean, obviously over a succession of days, weeks, six months. Okay, about so a, pe- one a month, a peak a month. Okay, yeah, and then we climbed Whitney in August of that year. Okay, and we made it. We made it to the top. I've got a picture of dad and I standing up there. I've posted every year for Father's Day and said, you are freaking awesome. You are my dad and I love you. And thank God you're still on this earth because what would I do? Wow. So that's how I started hiking. So <laughs> what did that do for your dad? He's a um, less than emotional fella. Yeah. So he tends to play it pretty close to the vest, although he's gotten much better in his uh, advancing years. He's He's learning, I guess he would say. Um, and at the time it was overly emotional for him. Like Mm. he could hardly believe that he made it up there. And when he retells the story, he tells the story of me standing behind him. And all I'm saying is dad, get to the next tree, just get to the next tree. Wow. And he says that would, that's what he remembered about our time is that I was always right there behind him. Just saying just a little bit more, a little bit more. And the time that we got to spend together, we talked about life, we talked about philosophy, we talked about business, we talked about reconciling, you know, our relationship difficulties that we'd had over the years. I mean, we covered everything out there in the yeah. middle of nowhere. You know, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no cell phone service, there's no earphones in. You're just there in nature, in quiet. Yeah. And health-wise? Health-wise, he is on a hiatus, let's just say. Okay. So I think he's about to get ready to be motivated again. Okay. He's 63. But that had to do really good for him. I mean, from heart attack number five to I'm going to go out and hike for the next six months through all these things. Oh, yeah. He immediately fell right into my obsessive compulsiveness. So not (laughs) only did we hike the six pack of peaks, but he also did in short succession after that a sprint triathlon and a half marathon in about an 18 month period oh my god he lost like 50 pounds he was running we did you know 10ks we did turkey trots we did tons of stuff yeah it was great probably one of the better times in my entire life wow i really enjoyed that time with him yeah i think that's so awesome i think about like in business in life like when we go through periods of struggle with other people even as cheesy as some of like those team building days are where you have to construct like some stupid project spaghetti yeah. or something yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. stick the <laughs> cheerio on top of the spaghetti and make it stay right but when you work hard and you get frustrated like it, that bond is built you know so mm-hmm. much more uh, str- uh strongly and so to think about the fact that you guys were in some sense, getting to the end of yourself personally, but doing that together mm-hmm. and being there, like even if you were the one that was dad, get to the next tree, dad, get to the next tree mm-hmm. by you pushing him, it was allowing you, you know, to dig deep into yourself too. Right. Because exactly. you were obviously in much better shape, I'm sure than he was, but still like you're taxed. You, you really need at times to focus on yourself, but you also have this concern for your dad. And so, gosh, what an amazing time. I just think, I don't think you can replicate those things outside of stress and struggle, you know? It's the, it's the elixir. That is the, the catalyst, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have something. Have you, are you familiar at all with Ryan Holiday, the author? Maybe. He wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way. No. 
Tell so I, I'll have to I'll have to share it with <laughs> you later. But um, so he is a uh, probably the most prominent like modern day Stoic philosopher, and yet he's in his mid thirties. Uh, super smart guy. He's wrote uh, he wrote a book called Ego Is the Enemy. He actually mm. just released one uh, just last week called Stillness Is the Key. Um, but the obstacle is the way. Like his whole purpose or his whole point to the book is this idea that we spend our entire lives trying to avoid challenge and to trying to avoid obstacles, going around them, going over them, trying to figure out ways to avoid them completely. And in reality, that's often the best way for us to go. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, um, I, you know, I, I hold to a, a little bit different philosophy of life than he does but you know like even from my viewpoint it's you know uh, the bible says that you know uh, we are to suffer and it oftentimes suffering produces good in us and so i just think that instead of spending so much life avoiding hurt heartache struggle suffering sometimes leaning into it is the best thing we can do it's it's so difficult though because if we're speaking to human evolving just even over the last century we have evolved to get rid of all challenge like that's that's our defensive strategy that's how we got fat and happy that's how we changed from nomads to settlers i mean we are actively still to this day in pursuit of convenience yep. and and less motion, yeah. less challenge. Yeah. So it, it's you're fighting a very large wave that's coming against you and you're a little fish trying to swim against that wave. It, it's tough. And I yeah. can completely understand the reticence and the um, attachment to what's comfortable. And, you know, whatever's familiar is safe, yep. is comforting. And going outside of that, it feels like you're going to die. Yeah. It triggers all of those fatal fears that we have inside of us, fear, rejection, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you also literally feel like you're going to die. Yeah. 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 That's crazy, right? Why would anybody voluntarily do that? Yep. But I completely agree with you that out of that comfort zone is where your growth happens and it's exponential. Yep. Yeah. Well, back to even what you said about, you know, like working for your dad at a really young age Mm -hmm. and having to do all the really hard stuff. Right. Like when you were having to do stuff that sucked, that you didn't like to do, you were grinding it out like you learned so much through that. Whereas now, again, like, you know, people attribute this to the millennial generation or, you know, the Gen Z or whatever. Like, I just think it's just a fault of society in general because there's parents that are allowing these things to happen. But we're 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 trying to set people up for the easiest path, easiest path to success or the easiest path to achieve X, Y, or Z. And it's like, come on. I mean, where are we forming a a character of grit, a willingness to to strive and to work hard? Um, We just don't see that in the same ways that we did 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I think I am a millennial, so I don't even get to identify with my own generation. I get to be (laughs) ostracized even more. Fine. Cool. I'm into that. In the newest generation, that's not the not the millennials, but what's after them, Zennials? Z, yeah. Z generation. Yeah. They're different. Yeah. So when you talk to them, they are tired of hearing about how bad millennials are. They are tired of the economy that they've been handed. They're tired of the environment they've been handed. They're tired of the political bureaucracy they've been handed. And I think we're going to start to see a movement there. It's actually really exciting that's to awesome. watch. 
So I'm, I got a lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I, again, I think that it's, it's there for the taking. And I think that it's the responsibility of the oldest of generations that are still alive to lead the way in some of those things and to stop blaming other people for doing it. I just see that happening so much. And then to have fresh blood in the water and to be able to have them pushing and striving and, you know, hopefully people are listening to them versus just, you know, turning them off to, um, you know, they're just too immature and young to understand anything. So well, I think taking a personal responsibility is a big part of that too. So we can't assume or expect that boomers or Gen X are, or the silent generation is going to come and tell us something. Yep. We have to own our own existence. So you're not going to get handed anything. And if you get handed something, it's probably going to be a pile of garbage yeah. and you're going to have to take it out. Yeah. So if you don't want a pile of garbage, it's up to you to change whatever you're going to get handed. Uh, just that, that whole sense of personal responsibility, I think, has gotten kind of convoluted. Um, nothing's owed to us. Not yeah. even today, not no. tomorrow. So yep. you only get one chance. So that whole yellow thing, I actually kind of believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a responsible <laughs> way, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I got tattoos and piercings too, but, you know, yeah. we could talk about that another time. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I don't even have to ask, so what the hell were you thinking when you decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? <laughs> Because that's why we're really sitting here today, right? right so I, right. I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine, and he says, oh, my gosh, I had this client. And she climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And I'm like, what? She's the CEO of a company. I'm like, what? And then, you know, he went on to tell just the beginnings of some of the stories of, uh, of your journey along the way. And so in one sense, I, I don't even have to, like, ask the question of, like, what were you thinking? And yet I'm so intrigued to like, what, what leads you to do something that, I mean, you know, you know this way better than I do, because I'm sure you studied it, but people have died. Yeah. Lots of people. That, they right? still die every yeah. year. <laughs> like it's not a safe idea by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And I'm sure right. that your husband wasn't pushing you out the door to do it. The company that you're leading wasn't like, yep, see you later. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. Make sure the insurance is paid up. Yeah. yeah. So so what what does that process look like? Like even leading up to, I mean, you didn't get drunk again and just sign up. To oh, do I it. wish. No, this one was like coherent thought behind it, which is even scarier, I guess. Um, I had been working nonstop um, for probably a three-year period. No vacations. And the vacations I did take, I was on the phone. I was on conference calls. I was on emails. Um, and I had worked myself into a pretty serious health situation. Um, I have several autoimmune, autoimmune conditions, ulcerative colitis, um, Sjogren's, uh, Raynaud's, and uh, idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura. Don't ask. Okay. No, nope, nope, nope. We can Google it later. <laughs> the pictures are kind of fun. Anyway, so I had dealt with all of these debilitating health issues and just kept working, kept working. So I found solace in work, um, which was not the healthiest behavior for me. So in September of last year, I had been experiencing several, a lot of physical symptoms that I had been chalking up to stress and all of this other autoimmune inflammatory type of responses. I went to see my GI doctor and he's just like, let's do a colonoscopy. Well, that came back as stage two adenocarcinoma. Wow. So when you sit there and the doctor says you got cancer, you start thinking of stuff. Now, depending mm -hmm. on what type of person you are, you fall to pieces, whatever, you grieve and you go through this whole thing. 
I kind of went the opposite. I went complete denial. Nope. It's not me. Yeah. I am not cancer. Cancer is not me. I even think I posted on Facebook. Hey, I I binge watch Netflix. I play code names with my my kids. I go walk my cats outside on leashes. I, I'm just going to keep doing that stuff. Okay. Yeah. I'm not cancer. I don't want to be the sick person. Hmm. I don't want to be the person who people go, oh, I'm sorry. Hmm. You have cancer. No. So I didn't, uh, I didn't process that all that well. Yeah. It was really kind of an unhealthy response. So, yeah. I, and I didn't tell work. I didn't tell my family right away. And I just kept working. And mm-hmm. I started my treatments um, after I had my resection. And um, I started to get a little bit run down. I was carrying this burden by myself. I didn't tell my children. My husband barely knew. Wow. I just didn't want to burden them. I wanted to carry this myself. And so I started thinking, okay, this is getting a little bit crazy, starting to have those thoughts that normal people don't have. Hey, maybe it's better if cancer kind of just t- took over and I was done. I'm tired. Mm. So I said, what can get me outside of myself? What can I work towards to get me out of this thought pattern? So I started Googling. What do people with cancer do when they ha- or don't have cancer anymore? And this, you know, cat videos and, you know, memes later, I stumbled upon the seven summits. So the seven summits are the highest peak on every continent. Mm. And one of the more approachable ones, if we could say that's a thing. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Kilimanjaro is about halfway up. So the lowest one is in Australia. And um, it's like the second, eh, I think it's actually the fourth um, from the bottom. There's only two or three higher. So I was like, that, Kilimanjaro. And then I started researching and I said, okay, this is it. I already was hiking. I already did Ironman. I I know what this feels like and it's going to be awesome. I know how to train. I could channel all of my excess energy into this. Let's do it. So we were right in the middle of a huge audit at work trying to get an initial accreditation for our Santa Fe Springs facility. And it had taken, I mean, we were working 20 hour days, seven days a week. We were barely sleeping. We weren't eating. It was a nightmare while I'm in the middle of chemo. Um, and nobody still knew? They, at that point they did. And of okay. course they're all giving me, oh, Heather, you shouldn't be working so hard. And yeah, shh, stop yeah. it, go away. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Don't tell me what to do. Um, of course, all of this is out of the goodness of their heart and love and like, yeah. you know, normal people yeah, yeah. with emotions yeah. and human interaction. Yeah, th- that didn't work for me at the time. So, so let me ask you something right there, if this is OK. Um, maybe we're going to cut this part out. Uh, so <laughs> it sounds to me like you didn't want to accept the fact that you had cancer in some sense mm-hmm. and you wanted to take the same grit and fight that you had to not finish Arizona Mm -hmm. and go on and finish Cozumel and you don't want to involve anybody else you want to take this all on yourself that's it and so maybe we'll get to this I mean maybe you're alluding to this sometime down the road but did you feel at any time like this is just my escape like I'm I'm running away from the reality of what's there. It's the ostrich with the head in the sand. Hmm. It's also a very selfish mentality. Not allowing others in to experience life with you is a defensive strategy that keeps you from being hurt. Hmm. It keeps you from being real. It keeps you from developing deep relationships with people. It keeps them from getting to know you. 
it keeps them from seeing that you're weak and vulnerable mm -hmm. and not perfect. And I do everything in my power every single day to be perfect. Mm. Now that actually gets changed quite a bit as I go through my cancer journey and coming out to Kilimanjaro because at some point I was so weak that I was forced to accept service from others. Mm -hmm. And that was just impossible for me to even fathom at that point. I was so selfishly in tune with my own very narrow mindset that I was not even open to the opportunity at all. Which is so, f I mean, I totally get it. I get it. Um, I can't, I can't relate to being diagnosed with cancer. I can't relate to the extreme nature of which we'll hear about of climbing Kilimanjaro. But I remember at a point in my life, I was self-sufficient. Like my dad left when I was six, mm -hmm. my mom worked two and three jobs. I was mowing the lawn at six and driving my mom around at 12 and 13 because she had breast cancer and nobody could take care of us. And so I was independent for so long. And then shortly after I started my business in 2012, I guess around this time, my business wasn't doing well because it was so new and we weren't going to make a mortgage. We weren't going to eat and had a wife and two kids. Mm -hmm and gift cards started showing up in the mail and checks. And I was so ashamed. Right? That's the first reaction. Oh. How sick is that? I was humiliated because it's, it was like, I can't, I yeah. can't do this myself. Like how pathetic. Right? And I was making every excuse as to why I was taking it, right? It was somebody else's problem or fault. And definitely there was a lot of circumstances that were involved in that, but like, I just, I didn't want to accept the fact that like you said, that people are there mm -hmm. to help you. Like that's part of this life that we've been created to live. Genuine service to others. Yeah. Uh, and being able to accept that with an open heart and kindness and, and humility it is so uh, grounding. Mm. And uh, it really erodes every pillar that you try to put yourself up on. And that was really difficult for me. And it still is to this day. I fight it. I fight it because I have 35 years or how old am I? 37? I don't know. <laughs> I count by decades now. Yeah. Um, you know, for the first 30 some odd years of my life, I was that person, the perfect a striving individual mm. that needed zero help and prided myself on running everybody else's life. Yeah. In addition to my own. Yeah. So I made the mistake of vocalizing this goal to a uh, coworker of mine. And he's like, well, Yeah. I mean, of course you're going to do that. Oh, boy. And uh, I had worked with him uh, on the side. He had a troubling uh, treadmill test a couple of years back. And he said he came to me and he said, hey, I know uh, fitness is kind of like, you know, you and your dad, right? And I was like, you're asking me to come train with me, right? And he's like, <laughs> well, yeah. And so he started coming out to the walks and the runs, and I started giving him some fitness advice. Wow. And, you know, he lost 40 pounds, and he started hiking, and... That's just the way it goes around yeah. me. I mean, if it's guilty by association, it's That's it's awesome. pervasive. It's, you know, <laughs> like a disease. So he says, well, can I come along? And I was like, why would you want to come along with me to Kilimanjaro? And he's like, I don't know. It sounds like fun. Okay. You're wow. a crazy person, but yeah, let's do it. How about if you get this audit done and we get accredited, I will bonus you your deposit for Kilimanjaro. And he's like, done. And we shook on it got the accreditation, 
deposits got put down that day. Oh my gosh. And we were going to Kilimanjaro. <laughs> that is insane. It is. It really is when you think about it. It's not healthy in any way. No, you know, just I pick mean, like one of the <laughs> tallest mountains in the world. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds reasonable. What what I love <laughs> at this point already in your story is that obviously while you are continuing to develop such a great sense of self-awareness like through this, like I, it, there's a lot of things that you can teach. And I think that the one thing that you can't teach is a willingness to push yourself beyond what your mind thinks is capable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that we say that, <clears throat> you know, we begin feeling pain somewhere around like the 50 to 60% threshold. Right. And in reality, most of us are bowing out somewhere in the 70 to 80% threshold, uh, which we never really experience what our bodies are fully capable or our minds are fully capable of. And so I love that. I mean, that that is just an amazing character trait obviously it gets you into some trouble from time to time but <laughs> it's what, what do we call that a an overused strength my <laughs> yeah. my vistage coach would tell me yeah yeah how's that working out for you okay fine bob yeah. thanks yeah. thanks for reminding me i'm human That's dang it great yeah okay so you sign up for kilimanjaro yep deposits are paid and then how long before you were gonna go so we signed up in um November and it was I think November and it was the following October that we were supposed to go okay is that pretty normal it, it takes a little while for you to to get on a trip or that's just no when we could have gone in literally December if we wanted Whoa. to uh, it was through REI they have a trip every single month of the climbing season it was crazy um and some of them were full I was like yeah, there's a bunch of us wow. crazy people all out you people want to die good I job I know right that's a glutton for punishment <laughs> So we picked a year away because we're like, yeah, a year, right? We could train. We can, you know, work and train. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we trained, sort of. Because <laughs> I got really, really sick. So let's be honest, uh, right? I had, you know, a lot of chemo yeah. for a long time. I finished in uh, February 28th of this year. This year? This year. So you went nine months, eight months of chemo after yeah. you had signed up. After. Whoa. And how long had you Wait, been taking chemo we're leading off up by to math. That? So October, November, oh. December, January, February, oh, five, five months. months total. And how long had you been on chemo previous to that? I had started in the end of September. So just right after that. Wow. Only about a month or so. Okay. Yeah. So you are in a, a brutal fight for your own life, <laughs> right? I mean, it's attacking every healthy cell in your body. Right. Because ingesting poison voluntarily is, you know, that's what everybody fine. does. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you're on chemo. Yep. Gets super sick. Yep. Are there any second guesses? Nope. If anything, that's what kept me going. So I didn't give up my cycling class that I teach. I didn't give up working. I didn't give up anything because I knew that the minute I sat in my bed staring at four walls being sick means no Kilimanjaro. Wow. So every Sunday we went hiking. Not every Sunday. Yeah, guy, I know. We didn't do every Sunday. Um, you know, I taught my class. I never gave up my class because cycling is great cardio, you know. So yeah. I use that as the motivation literally for my existence during that entire time. Wow. Um, I don't give up easily uh, to the point of, you know, collapsing and waking up in a hospital bed. That's just the way it is. Yep. Um, so that was what Kilimanjaro became to me is this beacon of, of light. There is light. The end of the tunnel is right there. You can physically see it. It's on the calendar. You're counting down every single day. Yeah. And that drove you know, getting up in the morning. And what does your 
husband and <laughs> your kids thinking of during this whole time? I, I chose not to, when I say I, we, my husband and I chose not to tell the children that okay. I had cancer. How old were they? Um, Dominic's going to be 13 on Friday. Wow. And uh, Lucas is 10. Okay. So um, clearly old enough to understand and go through this. And I, I mean, kids yeah. are resilient, right? It shouldn't have been a problem. But I didn't want to burden them with it. And he didn't want to go against my wishes. Mm-hmm. So we decided, okay, I'm not going to tell him. till the very end when I was already getting better. When okay. mommy was all not feeling as sick when, you know, I'm going to be done. Mm-hmm. And I could say, uh, but I was sick, but now I'm not. Yeah. See, everything's okay. Mommy's not going to die. Yeah. That was, I didn't want to put that burden on my kid's shoulders. Yep. Yep. Um, so when we signed up, my husband was originally going to climb with me. Okay. So it was going to be Guy and, and Christopher and I. And uh, I got a call from REI, and um, they we were kind of talking back and forth. And the risk factors of the trip, they actually asked, hey, do you guys have young kids? And long story short, we didn't want to leave our kids orphans. Wow. So through the conversation, talking back and forth with REI, we decided, okay, you're going to do this on your own. I'm not going to go. I'll stay with the kids. Wow. Which was really hard for him because he's a—he's just a little love bug and he just likes hanging out with me. And of yeah. course, I love having him around and he's just this zen source of light in my life um, for 15 years now. So I was kind of bummed out about that. Yeah. But then I was like, nope, this is my thing. I got to go. Yeah. Got to do it. He can go on a different hike. <laughs> well, he can come to the training hikes, which yeah. he totally didn't do. <laughs> Once he was out, he was out. He was out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, we're up at 7 a.m. to go do Peter's Canyon. Yeah. See you, babe. Yeah. I'll have breakfast from Pancake House when you get back. Yeah. Yeah. So that smart was guy. great. Smart right? <laughs> He's the smart one. Yeah. So, so you train for an extensive period of time. You're getting better. So you said Slowly. you stopped doing chemo in February. Yep, end of February. So that gave me about six months. Okay. And so at like what percentage to capacity do you think you were when you set off for Africa? Um, so... Like did you feel like you were all back to normal? No. Now I'm going to expose all my dirty secrets. Um, my family's going to freak out. I was actually sick when I left. I had started bleeding again. Wow. So... <laughs> I didn't really know what was wrong at that point, but I figured if it's cancer, it can wait three weeks for me to come back. And so I left actually pretty sick. Wow. (laughs) I was throwing up again. I was having... Did anybody know that? No, I didn't tell anybody because the first thing they would do is they would tell me, don't go. Yeah. And there was no way that was happening. Mm -hmm. No way. So I actually did not go back to my GI doctor, did not go back to my oncologist, didn't go to any of my physicians. I went to an app and got a doctor to come out who didn't know me, and he signed my waiver to say I could oh, go. Did they know you had cancer? Nope, at sure all? didn't. Nope, because they would have never let you. They go never would have let place. me go. Yeah, never would have let me go. So Arby, is, REI doesn't listen to this. Don't worry about that. I, you sign your life away. You signed so many forms. I yeah. felt like a lawyer when I was done because <laughs> I I knew legalese like crazy. So you know I was already wow. really um, weak. I lost mm. a, like. 40% of my muscle mass or some crazy number. I was wasted away. I was my lowest weight that I ever was, but not because I was losing fat, but because I'd lost tissue in yeah. general. Yeah. Um, I'd metabolized my own body. I was down in the one seventies and I was, I was weak. And so I built that back up. I gained about 30 pounds, which was good. Mm-hmm. So I gained at least back some of the muscle mass and a lot of the weight back. So I wasn't, you know, wasted away, but I was maybe 50%. Mm-hmm. 
Whoa. So. And did you second guess yourself at all? I did once I got on the trail. Once so you started. Once I started. So I was in denial because that's where I live right now. <laughs> not anymore because I, I made it through. But I was like, it's not going to be that bad. It can't be that bad. What I'm reading, it can't be that bad. I'm di- I'm tough. I've been through worse. Yeah. I've done freaking Iron Man for God's sake. I've trained. I've I've trained 17 hours straight. No problem. Yeah. I no. I had no idea. The first day that we set foot on that mountain was the first day that I said, "Uh oh, I don't know if I can do this." Wow. And as I'm, we're walking into camp on the first day, and that's the video that I posted on LinkedIn. They they're singing you in, you know. They're they're just just overjoyed that you've made it to yeah. camp on the first day, and they're so happy for you, and they're they're high fiving you and everything else. And I was like, all right, I can make it. One more day. Yeah. One more day. Yeah. You know, if these guys can do it, I can do it. <sighs> that. I don't know if that was the best choice. I don't know, but I made it, right? (laughs) So you probably shouldn't use my life or my choices as a blueprint. I'm just saying, right? Yeah. I made some very risky choices with my health and ultimately they paid off. But, you know, if I'm looking back, I would have maybe chosen different timing. Hmm. There was no reason for me to go while I was sick. There was no reason for me to jam it in six months after I was done with chemo. There was no reason for any of that. Yeah. I could have done this a year from now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, again, I'm going to, I just always say like, you know, <laughs> foot and mouth kind of things. But I think that, <clears throat> you know, some people could hear you tell this part of the story and think like, gosh, how selfish, right? Like that's it. You got a husband, you got two kids, uh, you got a family, you got a company to run. Um, and all to climb a stupid mountain. That means nothing yeah. to anybody. And yet I think at the same time when I hear that, it's like, but nobody else could be in your position, right? Like nobody, there's no way that anybody, I don't care if they had the exact same sickness that you did, had the same experience of, uh, you know, getting sick again, right before, like if everything was identical, they still could not put themselves into your position. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea whether or not you physically and mentally needed that in order to continue on, right? Or Mm -hmm. that sickness that you started with could have led to something so much different had you not gone. Absolutely. Right. And I think it was sort of a catharsis, you know, Mm. a processing, a rendering of all of these activities uh, in my life culminating in this Kilimanjaro trip because the experience itself from top to bottom, um, it changed my life, completely changed my life and the way I experienced the world. After that first day, um, you drive for a couple of hours to get to the gate and you do research on this stuff. So you don't go in totally blind. So you read about the porters and you read about um, the abject poverty that is pervasive through uh, most of the continent. Um, But you just don't understand. You cannot comprehend until you're there in front of you and you see this guy and he's about to put 42 pounds of your crap on top of his head and carry it for you for 50 miles up the tallest mountain in Africa. And you're like, why, 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 why would you even choose this? You know, and you start getting to know these guys and they don't drink or eat while they're carrying. So for the full day, they wake up before we wake up, they wake up at sunrise and we hike, you know, till three or four in the afternoon. We're fed a hot lunch in a hoity-toity tent with dishes and like real cups and stuff. And these guys haven't ate or drank. They don't eat with you at all? No, not at all. 
Is there a re? Do you know why that happens? I don't know the reason why. Okay. What I do know is that they feed them together in groups. Hmm. Um, so we were able to to see them eat. Yeah. But I don't think that they were given enough for what they were outputting. Hmm. So we realized real fast that we brought way too much food. Guy brought like 40 pounds of food because he thought that he was gonna not going to like anything in the entire <laughs> country to eat. So he had enough to keep him alive for the entire eight days on the trail. Without so, any without any outside food at correct. all. Correct. Yeah. So once he realized that, we started giving things away. Okay. And every time we would give it to him, they would immediately eat it. Just bolt it down lightning fast. And every time we give them something to drink, they would drink it. So you start being confronted with an entire different reality. Mm. Like these people are here to ensure your success, basically disregarding their survival. Yeah. And these guys don't get paid hardly anything. You know, the Tanzanian shilling is, it's like 4,000 to $1. It's just completely, yeah, decimated. It's an absurd number. It's absurd. It's absurd. We're talking like you buy a bottle of water and it's a dollar, right? So it's 4,000 shillings. These guys get 4,000 shillings and they're excited. Um, wow. And on the off season, they're all farmers pretty much. They're doing tobacco or coffee or potatoes, carrots, whatever it is. That's mm-hmm. what they do to survive. Yep. So they're on the mountain and, and these guys are just perpetually of service. And there's 60 people with us. Whoa. Six zero. So there was 11 climbers. One of us had to go back. Um, he was having some health trouble. 73 years old, by the way. Freaking insane shape. Better shape than I was. Better shape than any of us were. But uh, his pull socks just wasn't hanging out once we got to altitude. Are they Are they monitoring you guys the whole every time? Every day. Okay. Yeah, every day they take all the symptoms. So they put a little thing on you. They ask you, are you nauseated? Are you vomiting? Are you taking medications? Do you have a headache? And so they're very... Wow caretaking and and, and during all of those vitals they never once caught the fact that i'm pretty sick yeah no actually until i got sick actual sick okay yeah so on day three that's when i started getting altitude mountain sickness Uh, which is just compounded by the fact that like you still have cancer in your body yeah i mean hopefully not but you know knock on wood or um, something at that point that right, is still yeah. causing you to be really sick. Exactly. It wound up just being kind of a flare. Okay. Um, which is good. So I started getting sick. First came the headache. Splitting. 10 plus pain. I've never experienced a headache like it. I thought my brain was going to fall out my ears. Um, nausea. But it wouldn't turn into throw up. So it's just perpetual. Just sitting in your throat. You uh. don't know what to do with it. You just feel bad. And every time you move your head... It just gets worse. Yeah. And somehow you put one foot in front of the other and you get to camp and then you lay down and you take a two hour nap and then you go again, you know, the next day. So from about 14,000 feet to about 16,000 feet, that's where I was sick. Almost three days. Oh my gosh. You had to want to stop. I mentally quit a lot, but I luckily had a climbing partner who really was very calm and used to my BS because <laughs> mm. we work together. Yeah. And he's like, you're all right. Just go, go take a nap. I'm going to go hike. I'm going to take some pictures real quick. And okay. If you're going to be a matter of fact, I'm going to be a matter of fact. I'm going to go take my nap. Fine. Yeah. 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 See I if hate I need... you, but I am going to go sleep. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's when it started confronting me in my face that people wanted to be of service. Mm. So the first day I felt sick, the guide, one of the guides, we had four guides, um, one of the guides come up to me and he says, I'm going to take your pack. And I said, uh, no, 
I am an independent woman. It is 2019. Get away from me. <laughs> yeah. I carry my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, you're okay if you take off your pack and give it to me. It doesn't mean anything. And it's like he knew. Yeah. He's probably seen plenty of other Heathers, yeah. right? Yeah. Those yeah. super yeah. just hardcore crazy people that don't want to give up. And so he just talked very softly. Mm. And he just says, give me your pack. So he puts my pack on the front of him like one of those fake pregnancy bellies. Yeah. And he has his 42-pound pack on his back. By the end of that day, he had another person's pack on top of it. No Three way. Three packs. Which now just probably doubled the guy's body weight, right? Right. And he just took it and he was singing the whole time. He's singing to us and he's telling jokes and they do this call out thing where they say, REI adventures, nonstop to the top, one team, one dream. And the whole time you're just getting lost in this camaraderie mm. and they stand there and they remind you to drink the sippy, sippy, pole, pole, very slowly, slowly, slowly. And you're just like, you, you don't even realize that you're being taken care of because mm. you think you're still doing this monumental task. Yeah. But really it's enabled because of this huge team behind you wow. that is solely and uniquely invested in your success. Yeah, in your life, right? Right. I mean, it's literally in their hands. The guy's carrying my stuff. You know, he has wow. to bring it over to me. Every time I drink water, he has to give me that, you know? So that's when I started really to pray um ooh, gonna get misty it's <laughs> common okay. you, you won't be the first one and you won't be the only one uh, you know you start to uh talk to god mm -hmm. and ask him if i'm really meant to do this can you just make it a little bit easier mm. <laughs> and he did you know he brought me a guy named john who literally took my shoes off when i got to camp brushed my pants off took the insoles out of my shoes put them on the fire to dry them would bring me hot tea that's gingered for my stomach. And he says, are you okay, Dada? Which means sister in Swahili. So depending on how wimpy I was, I was either Dada or Lala. So Lala is like, oh, <laughs> you're like a little wimpy. And Dada is sister. So it's mm. the familial term. So he says, don't worry, Dada. It's okay. And he helped me go in and he puts my pack away and he stands up my poles. And just, this guy doesn't have to do that. Yeah. He's a porter. He's not paid to be my servant. He's yep. not there to wait on me hand and foot. And yet the guy stood guard outside of our tent for eight days. All night. Wow. So every day we saw John and every day John was a happy-go-lucky guy. And he had hiked his butt up that mountain in flip-flops, shorts, and a t-shirt, by the way. No way. Yeah, way. In 11 degrees. And uh, he was there for us. And he says, your tent's over here, Dada. Because we were delusional, yeah, yeah. oxygen deprived at this point. I didn't even know where I was. And he says, Dada, your tent is over here. Your bathroom's over here. Because they made a women's toilet tent. And it was very specifically the women's toilet tent. He says, Dada, over there. Yeah. You know. And that was the first experience I had with that. And he was there the whole eight days. And I tipped the guy... I think we, between Guy and I, we tipped him 100 or 200 bucks. And the, the dude literally came over and was like, he held both of our hands with both of his hands. And he's like, thank you. And he hides it real quick because he doesn't want anybody to see. And that's when we realized that that's probably about half of what he takes home for the whole trip. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so we just start repeating that, you know. 
everybody that we see that is serving us in any way we're just like thank you we can't give you anything else other than money it is so inadequate as a tool of gratitude mm -hmm. right <laughs> you know so we're just saying thank you thank you asante sana asante asante um so then we get to kind of pass the being sick part as soon as we got to 16,100 which was at um, lava tower and I wanted to die and I thought maybe if I just stab myself in the brain and put myself out of my misery that would be great uh. at this point and then we descended down into um, Barranco camp like you went down you're like we went down I'm going in the wrong direction well it's climb high <laughs> yeah. sleep low right yeah. that's what they do so you don't die it's yeah. a strategy it's a thing it's very effective they clearly know what they're doing yeah. because i descend down to about twelve thousand eight hundred ish and sleep overnight and it's gone like it never wow. happened no nausea no headache wow. no nothing like it never happened which is good because then we had to climb straight up about a thousand feet on the Barranco wall and you only got about six inches of trail. Oh, hell no. Uh-huh. No way. I'll show you some pictures when we're done. And it, you're, they have this part called the kissing rock because the ledge is so narrow, you have to put your face against the rock nope. and you kiss it while you scoot yourself past wearing your day pack and while the porters are climbing over like, you know, little creatures. And like creatures. if not, you like fall to your death. A thousand feet down there's no yeah. flipping way i would ever do that i like i am so terrified of being on the edge of something and falling off yeah it's a real thing i, I totally really hear you there and but everybody no was choice. well we were terrified well we had a choice of course we did and we were terrified yeah, are you gonna go back at that point yes so they had a helipad at that camp. No You could have way. bailed out. They know people bitch out right there. Right there. So they put a helipad there because they're like, I don't want to walk far. We're just going to put the helipad there and we'll take them out. All these little people that don't want to run. Okay, go. Let's let's get out of here. Oh, my gosh. It's also the first place that I got cell phone service. Wow. So they had a cell tower there because of the rescue efforts. Yeah. So they had SAR. And um, I got to call my husband. I was like, hey, babe. I'm still alive. Yay. <laughs> and I called my dad and I called my mom and I got to talk to the children and everything got better that day. Wow. Yeah. So it was really good, which we needed because I'll tell you what, once you get to that summit day, I, I have done hard things in my life, but nothing remotely close to what summit night was like. The final day. Like they're the, the final, final climb. Yeah. Well, we did uh, six days up and two days down in th in theory. So we started out on our summit effort on uh, Friday the 13th on a full moon Jeez. at midnight. Perfect. So technically the 14th, right? They get us up at 11 o'clock at night and they're like, here, have some tea and biscuits because you're about to, you know, attempt to summit the highest mountain. Is there a reason why they do that at night? So there's better weather. There's better chance. It takes uh, between five hours and 10 hours to summit. Okay. So they don't want you to do that during the day because you're going to run out of daylight and you're going to be coming down in the dark. Mm. You have higher chances to hit weather. So they start you then and um, you wind up summoning at sunrise. Um, wow. If you're fast enough. Yeah. We took eight and a half hours to get to the summit. So um, we got to watch the sunrise just slightly below the summit. <laughs> but when you start in pitch black and it's the wind chill is down in the zero or minus range. No and you're in way you're in six layers of shirts and three or four layers of bottoms. And I'm wearing a beanie and a hat and a balaclava and a neck warmer. <laughs> <laughs> I've got ski gloves on. I've got six layers of shirts and you puffies. Like Joey in that episode of Friends when he wore all of Ross, I mean, all of it. Chandler's clothes. Yes. 
and you're still and you trying to be down? agile enough to climb. Correct. Yeah. And you've got you're carrying four liters of water, or yeah, I think they made us take four that day. And you're carrying your snacks and your day packs somewhere between twenty and twenty five pounds over your layers. Oh and gosh. you start your climb. So you just put one foot in front of the other. You have a headlamp on, and all you can see are headlamps going up the mountain. Oh my god! Thousands, because everybody starts at the same time. Uh, is there? And there's other groups doing this at the same oh, time, yeah. right? There's just people everywhere. I'll show you pictures. Uh, the The <clears throat> most crowded camp that we had, I think, was mm, 500 people oh in a camp gosh. at once. I mean, we were 100 people close just with us, right? Yeah. 71 or whatever it wound up being. And you multiply that by you know five or six groups, you're done. Yep. You're full. Yeah. And it was the most lonely crowded place i'll tell you what because everybody's in their own head right yep. there's not a lot of chatting the only talking that you hear is in swahili and of course they've done this a hundred times right yeah so, you have no idea what they're really saying these people are so screwed <laughs> i know right? no idea what they got themselves into they're probably whining god she made me wear her pack no i'm just <laughs> kidding they never would have said that they're amazing so we're doing one foot in front of the other and uh 20 minutes into the summit night attempt my water froze so we stepped out of the tent, started walking. 20 minutes, I'm frozen. Can't oh drink. Oh, my gosh. It's done. I'm sucking on the tube. It's not working. It's not working. It's just ice crystals. I'm trying to warm it up with my, you know. And in the meantime, I'm feeling sick again because we've hit 17,000 feet out of the 19,200, whatever it is. So I kind of got a little wimpy and started crying, you know. Because I was like, one more thing, one more thing, yep, right? You yep. know, in my God, way. God, I asked you to make this easier. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I mean, this is not easy. Right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm. that's when I said out loud to Guy, I said, I, I'm going to go back down. Whoa. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it. So then the guide that was with us, his name was um, Asano. He comes up to me, says, Dada, give me your pack. I said, no, gosh darn it. This is my summit attempt. I'm going to go on my own two feet and I'm going to make it with my pack. This is what I set out to do. It's my thing. And he says, Dada, the mountain's going to wait for you. Slowly, slowly, poly, poly, give me your pack. And then I cried some more because I'm a big baby at this point. And I'm just like, <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> and um, he had an assistant with him. And for the life of me, I never remember his name. And they've told me probably three or four times. It's a traditional name and I just don't remember what it is. So assistant guide, whoever you are, I love you. Thank you. He comes up to me. He says, Dada, your water's frozen. And I said, yes, it is. What, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And he says, give me your water. I will make it unfrozen. The dude unzips his jacket, puts my water inside his shirt, closes his jacket. Wow. I didn't even know what to say to that. Every time I had to get a drink, this guy fed out the tube from his chest that was warm with his own body heat to enable me to stay alive that day. And I'm sipping from this water and I'm just like, y you didn't have to do this. And you did. Yeah. You did this for my success. Yeah. You did this for my goal, for my journey. How selfless, how giving, how humble, how... Mm -hmm. I, anything i need to go back to college to learn more acronym or more uh, more words to describe it you know how life-changing it was so asano's got my pack assistant guys got my water guys off to my side shoving shop locks in my mouth saying you're all right let's go <laughs> quit being a sissy <laughs> he actually never said that <laughs> 
he knew he's worked with me for quite some time he knew that i would never give up Hmm. what he was worried about is that i would never give up Hmm. does that make sense yeah oh yeah so he thought that i would go until i died yeah that was his biggest worry he's like i don't want to carry your dead body back down i said they got helicopters for that (laughs) oh my gosh so we did one foot one foot one foot just half steps half step breathe half step breathe at that elevation we're about eighteen thousand. at that point you're panting you're (sighs) you know over and over you cannot get breath you cannot slow your heart rate down my resting heart rate when i slept at our final camp was 102 oh my gosh yeah my pulse ox got down into the high 60s low 70s so i mean you're you're not very alive yeah no way <laughs> no, you can't sustain that for a long no of time. no there's no way exactly so wow we got to stella point actually just before stella point and the guides are seeing that the group is just not doing all that well we had one gal named susan and she just started throwing up perpetually she could not stop And she would not quit. Susan is an amazing individual. She's a uh, cancer research nurse practitioner. Um, I love her. She's an amazing gal. Uh, Her and her husband, who is another doctor. So, by the way, we're with two doctors. Woo! Uh. We had the best group ever. And we had a a PhD in, like, analytics. Our group was brilliant. Anyway, side note. Squirrel. Um. So we are all just trudging along and, you know, Susan's throwing up. I'm about to lose my stuff. Everybody's getting just downtrodden. And then you start hearing them sing. And then it said, the sunlight is coming. Just wait for the sun. Everything gets better in the sun. Wow. So we're just like looking and the sky is getting a little bit brighter. It's getting a little bit brighter. And then the sun starts rising and the moon starts setting. And you can see both at the Uh, same time. Oh, my God. You have not seen God's creation until you've seen that. Um, Wow. And everybody looks back and we're like, all right, this is better. Okay. Yeah. This is pretty cool. And everybody stops to take pictures and you take a pee break and you eat some more food. And then the guides pull out the magic sauce. So in their backpacks full of you know the gamow tent and the oxygen and and all the things to keep us alive they have uh thermoses full of hot tea that they've been carrying for us hot tea and cookies on the top of the mountain no way and we sit there and here's like here would you like some hot tea and i'm just like why yes yes i would (laughs) seriously thank you for spoiling the tourists i mean what is wrong with you people oh my gosh and they come, you know, they come over and they pat you and they know you don't want, they know the personality type of people that climb Kilimanjaro, right? They're all that type A overachiever, aggressive, really selfish individual, right? So they don't want to comfort you or hug you, right? So they just come over and they do this, you know, they tap your shoulder twice and then they walk away and you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> at that point, everything's missing. everything, right? And Susan's over here throwing up and I'm over here crying and guys just like, this is what I signed up for. Come on. Yeah. So he had a totally different experience on the mountain than I did. You know, he came from a, a different lifestyle, um, totally different life experience. Mm. So hearing it from his point of view versus my point of view, it, it's it's pretty enlightening. Yeah. So we get up to Stella Point. They don't warn you. And your research is not complete if you don't realize that Stella Point looks like the summit. Yeah. And it was not. You have an hour left. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is yeah. just like... <laughs> the worst 
So we get to Stella Point. And you, we actually have some pictures from the group. We have like 4,000 pictures on the Google Photos thing. Uh, and you have people going like this, you know, putting their arms up and celebrating. And then they realize that's not it. Oh, no. <laughs> so Who we, had to break that news to you guys? We realized it pretty quickly because um, you can look and you could see the sign, the other sign. And it's on this like plateau. And you're like, oh, Son man. of a bitch. Like it. <laughs> I'm really not doing it now. Right. This is good we, enough. There were several people that we saw go back down because they got to Stella and they were so disheartened that having to keep going, they were just like, nah, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm done. And throughout that whole time, so starting at about three in the morning till about four o'clock in the afternoon, you hear the helicopters coming to take people off the mountain. Wow. All day, all day, because up and spot. back. Just the nature of the climb. Yeah. So people about, you know, number one cause of going back down the mountain is, is dehydration, right? And then altitude mountain sickness, heart attacks, injuries, you know, all of those things. And yep. it, the helicopters are flying. They're picking people wow. up all day long. I still have my little helicopter insurance card that they give to me. And you're like, oh, this is positive. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, a good way to start the trip. Here's my helicopter rescue insurance yeah. card. Here's your just in case. For right? Real. So you think it's bad enough when you go to the ER and the intake person's like, can I have your insurance card? Yeah. Imagine that on the side of the mountain. Oh, no Before way. they'll put you in the helicopter to take your ass back down to the hospital, you have uh, to show them this little card. <laughs> I'm dying. I can't show you anything. <laughs> God help you if you forgot your card. Uh, I don't even know what would happen. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so we get to Stella Point and they pull out more tea and they give us snacks and they're, you know, by th at this point, my guide, Asino and um, gosh, I never remember his name. They're dressing me. They're undressing me. He's putting my beanie on. He's sipping up my coat. I'm going to the bathroom. He's pulling up my pants for me. Like he's wow. I, I th these people are just giving of themselves. Yeah. And I never saw them drink. I never saw them eat. And we got back. We started at 11.30, 11.45. We got back at about 11.30, 11.45. So a 12-hour period. I never saw them drink or eat. Wow. And they never rested. When we rested, they came over and took care of us. So we get to the top. And it almost feels anticlimactic. I, you stand up there and it's, you look around and there's a sign. And you realize that it was the getting there hmm. that was the accomplishment. It has nothing to do with getting to the top. It's everything that happened before. Yeah. Um, you know, we're standing there waiting in line because it's like Disneyland up at the top uh, to take pictures. And I'm not a hugger. I'm not much into that whole thing. And Guy is definitely not a hugger. He's a, a biker dude that wears a wallet chain and like, you know... He's super gruff and has a big old burly beard. And he's generally an intimidating individual at first glance. It was probably one of the biggest hugs I've ever gotten from a person. <laughs> oh, from him? Yeah. Yeah. So he was hugging. I was hugging. We were hugging. Uh, it was a hugging party. Yeah. It was like a hugging train. Everybody. You, Everybody was everyone, hugging. You get a hug. You, you get, get a hug. hug. You get a hug. And it uh, just... And it, the guides are hugging you. And... <laughs> You know, they're cheering for you and they're yeah. trying to shepherd you up to the sign. And they took a hundred pictures for you. They never got tired of pictures. Do you need more? Do you want, you know, wow. hold up your sign or do you want to change position? I, they just, they were there. Yep. And then you get to go back down. 
so after you go through this six day journey you spend about an hour at the top which is too long yeah at that point i was very lightheaded and i hadn't eaten much and it was just yeah Yeah, probably should have gone yeah (laughs) probably should have gone faster down and the descent is one of the most difficult descents i've ever done so this is a dormant volcano so um the whole it's it's lava rock Mm. and it's you know three or four feet deep lava rock and sand essentially so as you're going down you're taking like a giant moon step and you slide about four feet slide 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 you don't go down the same way you come up you do but it's a slightly different trail so you go up in a a zigzag fashion you come down straight down whoa no um switchbacks completely straight down the side of the mountain um in like it's almost like a little gully wow just there's no there's no nothing so guy got it a b in his bonnet and decided to follow a porter who was running down because they got to get lunch ready right so they got to beat all of the tourists back down so they can make hot lunch for us who does that that's crazy (laughs) aren't you tired at that point yeah so guy gets behind the porter and runs down the mountain and he gets there he he's been asleep for an hour by the time i got there so i had nothing left absolutely Mm. nothing left i had thrown up uh, I had had GI distress. I hadn't eaten in probably three or four hours. Um, I, the guide stayed with me and tried to keep, to get me to eat and drink. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to throw up more. And anyway, so all I feel is one arm under my arm, one arm under my other arm. And all of a sudden I've got two guys holding me up. Wow. And Asano says to me, says, Dada, we're going to help you. I was like, no, yeah. you, know, you already carried my pack. I don't have my pack on. He has my pack on and he's now holding me. Wow. Asino and Porter helper guide guy that I never remember. Um, one on each side. And they just start pulling me down the mountain. And I thought I was going to die because they went so fast. And I couldn't, I thought I couldn't handle it. I told them to stop and I was like, I'm crying and I can't handle it. And they said, it's okay, Dada, don't cry. It's going to make you hyperventilate. Yeah. You'll get less oxygen. So we had to stop and stop and stop and stop. And it took a long time to get me down, but it probably would have taken me six hours to get down. It took me two and a half, three. Wow. Um, to get back down to the base camp, um, which I can't remember at the moment. Karanga? maybe no Kosovo Kosovo was the base camp at 16,000 feet so we get there <laughs> and there's John waiting for me he says Dada here's your chair here's your chair he brings my chair over to me I'm staggering over he brings the chair he says sit down Dada sit down and he brings me over he takes off my shoes and he brings a mat so that my feet won't get dirty and he takes my socks off and he says, Dad, I'm going to take your shoes. It's okay. I have your shoes because he knows I'm like delusional yeah, right now. I'm crying. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm doing. I can't even speak coherent thoughts. I'm just like. <laughs> and he comes back and he's like, Dada, here's tea. It has lots of sugar in it, but you have to drink it. <laughs> and then he brought me an orange juice in a little juice box. By the way, I went and bought like a Costco size thing of juice boxes just out of reminiscing because <laughs> we had juice boxes. I haven't had a juice box since I was a kid. I don't yeah. know about you. Yeah, but nope. I am into juice boxes now. <laughs> yeah, they saved your life. They saved my life. So I had an orange juice juice box and I had my tea with probably five or ten tablespoons of sugar in it. <laughs> and I'm trying to sip. I'm trying to sip. And he is 
rolling up my pants and he's washing my feet. Wow. If you've never had somebody wash your feet, it is one of the most humbling because your first instinct is embarrassment. Your first instinct is shame. Your first instinct is this is gross. This is not normal. And you're trying to react and all this guy wants to do is help you. Mm. And he's on his knees in front of me washing my feet. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, it's unbelievable to me as I hear like on one hand, the constant desire to serve and help and care for just another human being, mm-hmm. right? And how desperately we just need that in our world, right? <clears throat> and then the other side of me is praying as we're talking that like, my gosh, Heather, are you ready to accept the fact that you cannot live this life on your own? That was it. Right. I never would have gotten to the top if it weren't for Guy and the entire team there. We only succeeded at this goal because of the collective effort Hmm. between the energies and the prayers and the thoughts and the moving one step forward together. We never broke apart. We stayed together. All of us, all 10 of us. Yeah. And the guide stayed with us and it speaks to so much that we deal with in life. Um, our inability to accept help, our inability to come from humility, um, to come from a place of respect, this need to be, you know, self-sustained and independent and on your own two feet and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and American dream and all that. When really the stuff that binds is, um, is the service that we give to each other. Mm -hmm. And it's in little ways, right? So it doesn't have to be washing somebody's feet. It doesn't have to be pushing them up the side of the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. You know, just being aware of someone's existence is an act of service. Just noticing people are alive. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here. And we don't, we take it for granted and we reject it wholly, wholeheartedly. Yep. 90% of the time because we are incapable human monsters, right? And our hearts are not open. Our hearts are very encased in this protective coating that protects, you know, protects from getting hurt and getting rejected and being wrong and failing. Um, And when you get to experience true humility from, a person who has nothing to benefit from washing your feet. He's going to get paid and he's going to get tipped no matter how hard he works because that's prescripted by REI. He didn't have to do what he was doing. And he didn't wash everybody's feet. He didn't wash Guy's feet. (laughs) Guy was asleep. He was scary. He probably was too (laughs) scary. They called him Simba because he has this big old furry beard that goes around his face. Um, That's awesome. Everybody had trail names. It was very interesting. So yeah, that was probably, um, so how do you, 
It's been a couple of uh, months now. How do you, <clears throat> it's one thing for you to tell this story and I'm sure there's, you know, there's so many other things you could tell and, and, and probably do tell and, and will continue to tell, but like mm-hmm. you have learned one of the most crucial lessons, two of the most crucial lessons we can ever learn in life, right? This, this servant heart, right? To, to do for others, regardless of what, you know, we're going to get in return. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, being on the receiving end of the yes. service of other people. And so it's one thing to like feel that, but even this high or this heaviness of weight that you feel, like it's going to go away to some degree. Eventually. And so how do you practice the mindfulness to continue to live these things out for as long as you live? Like how do you instill that into your kids that you like you can't drag them up Mount Kilimanjaro? They want to go now. We'll see, oh, but no. Man. I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um I have to be very careful because I can easily can turn service into competitiveness. Hmm. See how many acts of service I can do. See how many people I can help. And you can turn it right around and, and pollute it just out of being a personality type that is used to achieving. Mm-hmm. So realizing that life is empty and meaningless and humans are meaning making machines and why am I ascribing all of this stress and value to what really has no meaning it's completely neutral at face value right any event in 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 history of existence is a neutral event right it's humans that decide that's stressful or negative or positive so coming from a mindset of neutrality every morning so I wear this bracelet every day now. It says Kilimanjaro on it. Um, I, de- I haven't taken it off. I don't huh. plan on taking it off. It's made out of string. It's not going to hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> and every morning I kind of do this and, you know, I think about that feeling um, of not knowing if I was going to live and, and, you know, having people around me that cared more about my life than their own. <laughs> And it puts me in a mindset of it's not really going to bother me all that much today. Everything that I am going to put out in this world is going to be something that's going to make it a better place. Mm. You know, I'm not going to let things rile me up anymore. I'm not going to have this stress because in the end, we're all just trying to get up the mountain. Not a lot of oxygen. We're all delusional, running around like crazy people, not taking care of ourselves. Everybody is on that same journey. And if I can be the person that takes the water, or if I can be the person that shoves the shop lock in their mouth, then that's who I want to be. Mm-hmm. So in my day-to-day interactions now, I am looking to pick up the keywords. So the people saying, this is getting overwhelming, or I didn't sleep last night, or my stomach is bugging me. Reaching out and making that connection in a small way because most people can't accept help it's very difficult for them yeah you know so just reach out and be like hey just so you know i'm here Mm -hmm. i'm gonna bring you a sprite you cool with that are you allergic to anything no (laughs) all right here's your sprite i know you're not feeling all that great today or setting up private work time with somebody who is so overwhelmed with their position that they are probably close to quitting you know saying okay let's work together for two hours set it up 
I'll be there for you. I'll sit at your desk with you. Let's do this together. Or with my children, you know, they come and they want to talk to me. And before Kilimanjaro, I was on my phone 24-7. I was reading emails, conference calls, calling work, you know, working, mm-hmm. reading articles, LinkedIn, whatever it is, right? Um, I haven't done that. I haven't picked up the phone when I leave work. Wow. I haven't done it. I've been there with my children and I've done and listened to everything that they have to say. And it's like, I'm getting to know them again, which is sad, mm. but also very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with my spouse, you know, we have a pretty good, good connection. We've been together for a long time. It's been continual hard work, just, you know, every marriage is, um, but even he's noticed, he's like, Hey babe, like you're not working. Nope, I'm not. I'm yeah. here with you. What's how was your day? You know. So I'm making really active choices surrounding that, so that I don't fall back into all my old habits and let myself get triggered. And I do, I do a hundred times sure. a day. I am back in that same rut. I hate people. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm stressed. You know, I got a headache. Whatever it is, it, it happens a hundred times a day. Yep. You know, <clears throat> when I hear that stuff, like. Again, like it's just it. it, it, On one hand, you would think that well, gosh, like you were diagnosed with cancer, and you could have died from that, right? And that's not what it took for you, right? I mean, that was a catalyst to to something else. But I, I think that that is what makes us so very unique, right? Is is there is no prescription Mm -hmm. for what's going to have that huge effect on the rest of our life. I mean, again, like I, as I retrace my own life of, uh, one, almost two times of near financial ruin. Uh, my wife and I almost got divorced about four and a half years into our marriage with mm-hmm. one child already. Um, so many harsh experiences, um, uh, experiencing a coworker commit suicide, um, and then for me, it was, and it just happened to be a monumental, devastating one was like my wife and I were so close. We had an amazing relationship. Our family, our, our, uh, with our two kids were so close together. And yet it took me jumping on top of my wife as bullets were flying mm-hmm. to realize like, holy shit, like that could have been it. Done. Right. Over. Yeah. Yeah. And of many things that I, I I can remember, even about that day or that time, like at different times, the one thing that will haunt me forever in probably a really good way, and it's so eerie, is telling my wife I love you, which was my way of saying goodbye mm-hmm. in the event that I didn't. And I just appreciate the fact that like your story has been this way because it's so telling that like, it takes a conscious effort, right? Like it's so freaking hard. Like, again, you were diagnosed with what could have been a terminal disease. You almost died on a mountain. <laughs> and yet I'm sure since you've been back, you've flown off the handle at your kids. You've oh, gotten yeah. pissed at your husband. You haven't made a good decision at work. So it's not like your life changed, but you're using all of these opportunities, even the 50 that happened to you on the mountain alone. Mm-hmm. To, to become a better person, right? And to contribute positively to a society, again, that is 
desperately in need. Like we look at the way that we treat each other today. It's horrific. Absolutely. And yet you can take a step back now and realize that all of the hurt that you went through is going to allow you to not maybe hurt somebody else and Mm -hmm. instead contribute in a way that could help them with the rest of their life. Absolutely. I mean, it's transcendentalism at its heart, right? Constantly working on perfecting oneself, except now we're working for that higher cause, right? Yep. We're evolving towards servitude, you know, servant leadership, towards being of service, um, towards making someone else's life different in a positive way. Yep. Um, try not to be their burden. Try to alleviate some burden. Uh, try to just be there. Just sitting next to somebody in a room while they're stressed out uh, is helpful for them. Yep. You know, yeah, no, I'm not perfect. I am not. And I spend more and more time in imperfection. And in that, I find um, almost a solace now um, in being human, in being vulnerable, uh, trying to come from humility. It's very eye opening. Mm hmm. Um, because your natural instinct is to self-promote and to claim the credit and to move yourself forward and to climb, 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 climb till you finally get enough, right? This concept of enough. And when really you were enough the day you were born mm-hmm. and you stayed enough every single day after that. Yep. And the fact that we feel that we ever are not enough is something that I want to be there to help somebody else with. Yeah. <coughs> I think that's pretty amazing that through this you get the opportunity to do that as a parent. Mm. Most kids don't get that. You know, f- many kids don't get that from their parents. Mm-hmm. As a spouse, right? Many relationships don't get that kind of contribution. Mm-hmm. As a leader in an organization, right? You get to influence in ways that many other people never get the opportunity to. So while, I mean, I'm sure that y- you see a lot of benefit to it. I mean, it took a lot of really horrible stuff for you to come to a place where you can contribute in the ways that you do. Yeah. Everybody's got a story, right? So pain is relative. So my experience while extreme is no more detrimental or uh, monumental than somebody else's experience. Yep. Right. Yeah. Pain is relative. Um, we could get into a real, uh, pissing contest of who had the worst life right that's another thing that can happen when you go through these sorts of things and keeping it towards let's just kind of sit back and reflect you know yeah let's just kind of exist without any sort of expectation that would be cool i'm good with that you know it's a very hard place to come from our world is set up to uh eliminate a lot of that yeah yeah on purpose yeah yeah because we feel that it's easier no, I mean, I think that, again, we all have an experience. We all have some, some of us have much more difficult ones, many more, but I always say that it's how we respond, right? Mm-hmm. And thank God that you've responded the way you have because, you know, it, it, it could have gone completely a different way. Well, in hearing your story, it's amazing that it has to come to that. Yeah. It's amazing that that situation even exists in the world, that you had to tell your wife you love her because you're going to die. Yeah. So being a part of changing even a little bit of that, that's got to be so satisfying. Yeah. You know, and um, fulfilling. Yeah. That that wasn't the end. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have, again, rather not ever gone through any of it. And yet, if you have to, you might as well make something of it in the process, mm-hmm. right? Or out the other side. Well, thank you. I mean, we've been at this, I don't know. I don't know. An hour and 30 minutes. <gasps> no. And we talk too much, right? No. I mean, and. <laughs> You know, having never met before, I mean, obviously, I, I can tell you're a very outgoing person. I'm sure you um, uh, you, you build relationships quickly with people, it seems like. Um, <laughs> but to share this story in this way, I mean, I really appreciate it. And I think that what's been fantastic for me, and I hope that people hear, is it's so little about the story of climbing a mountain, right? Like, I don't want to take away from an amazing feat that you accomplished that I would never do if my life, maybe if my life depended on it. But I think that you sharing what you really overcame along the way in climbing that mountain is something that people can really relate to, right? And again, the smallest of ways or the greatest of ways as they go throughout their whole life. So thank you so much. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I am honored to spend time with you. Thanks for letting me share my story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I know that people can find you on LinkedIn uh, yeah. as a way to connect to you. Mm-hmm. Um, any other questions or anything like that? Is there any other place that you share your life publicly with people? Yeah. Um, Instagram, I'm cycle try gal, um, cycle like bicycling, try like triathlon gal. And then, um, you can find me on Facebook and that's mostly cat pictures, food pictures and kid pictures. But, <laughs> you know, if you're into that thing, yeah. All right. <laughs> and you may not know, but you're just going to at least, is it, are they going to find somebody with blue hair? I don't, I don't know. Is that what the profile picture looks like right now? Oh, blue hair. Yeah. Oh no. I okay. had blue hair for 18 months. Okay. So yeah. Blue okay. is for colon cancer. Oh, so, nice. You know, breast cancer is pink and yep. testicular oh, is yellow that. and you know, so everybody's got their colors. So I've got, you know. There you go. So you can find her there. I'll make sure to uh, link all of that up in the show notes. Uh, As always, thank you guys so much. Uh, I've been pushing the envelope in terms of length of podcast episodes. It seems like people are responding well to those. You guys are enduring hour plus episodes. Uh, So if you have any feedback, suggestions, comments, questions, concerns, please feel free to provide those to me. Hit a link in the show notes. Reach out to me directly. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Until next time, peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.